Let me get the documents up here. I have a dream. This nation will rise up. Live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created Here's Here's the thing. We've been given an opportunity to do something, and that's to govern. And to govern to make the lives of the people of Ohio better, that's exactly what I aim to do. And because of you, I get a chance to do it. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It's the Ricochet Podcast with Peter Robinson and Rob Wall. I'm James Wilex. Today we perform a post-mortem on the midterms with Luke Thompson. So let's have ourselves a podcast. Welcome, everybody. This is the Ricochet Podcast, number 618. Hey, why don't you go over to ricochet.com and and join? I mean, there's a whole world waiting for you. It's a place that you've been looking for all your life on the internet, and there it is, ricochet.com. Rob Long is here. Peter Robinson is here. They're the founders of ricochet.com, and later, Rob will be giving you an interminable but but yeasty, <laughs> zesty list of reasons yeasty. to join us. Yeasty, I guess. Well, in, in as much as it will, once once uh, it's put in the oven, it will grow in the minds of the listeners until they cannot have it. <laughs> there you go. To and to be punched down. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So we are going to get right to what we need to get to, uh, because I think an election happened, and I think some people have some things to say about it. One of those deathless podcasts for the ages that will be listened to over and over and studied for its nuances and its, its insights. And that's yesterday's news already. It's fish wrapped the election, right? No, there are post-mortems to be done. And uh, John Gabriel is in Arizona. He's joined us. John Gabriel, of course, a another fine member of Ricochet, a contributing editor, editor, editor. And he's here to tell us uh, whether or not it's all his fault. John, is it all your fault? What's going on in Arizona? Okay, I fess up. It's pretty much my fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I started getting <laughs> text late in the night of Election Day. What? It's taking your state so long. Uh, within a couple of days, they're all people are just screaming at me. What's taking so long? And then they started to get this hostile, judgmental tone. No, uh, <laughs> blaming this on me personally. I have nothing to do with the count. I am ten percent more frustrated than the rest of you that they have not called this yet. But um, there is not a conspiracy. They are not manufacturing ballots or anything like that. Oh, this you've drunk just... the Kool Aid, have you? <laughs> right, right. Well, this is uh, never a tribute to conspiracy. What could be better explained by incompetence? And yes. if anything, these offices have proven their incompetence remarkably well. And they just need to update the system to make it more like Florida's. Um, we've so far almost all the we votes. We need to update to... America to make it more like Florida, but that hmm. will come to that. Yes. Make America Florida again. Right. Um, yeah, they. Um, so far have been mostly counting these returns that are coming in every night from various counties, especially Maricopa, where I live, which is where about 60% of the state's population lives in. They Maricopa are is Phoenix. This, what's that? Maricopa yes, is Phoenix. Yep, includes Phoenix and its many multi-layered um, suburbs. And um, But they've just been returning a lot of things from before Election Day. Those are all very Democratic-leaning, especially in Arizona, much like Nevada. Um, GOPers tend to vote in the past 
four to six years, they want to vote in person. So that is, uh, they are finally supposed to be releasing those numbers, at least to some of them, slowly tonight, and that will flip the map. So any Democrat who's up by a point or two, they're in deep trouble once these results came. In Maricopa, you mean? In Maricopa? In Maricopa, correct. Wait, wait, so so pre-election day ballots get counted first, and then the election day drop-off ballots meaning you can fill out your ballot but drop it off in person because the the ballots that where people actually went to the booth and pulled the lever those got counted pretty promptly right yes yes okay so yeah. we're waiting for the election day drop off ballots which on every political rule of thumb in Arizona ought to trend republican is that correct that is correct and by trend republican we're talking 65 to 70% republican i would say 65 to 75% republican they are very gop leaning and a lot of people do that they get the mail in ballot and then um not mentioning myself by the way but they put it off and put it off and then fill it in the day of the election <laughs> and then sheepishly walk to their local polling place and drop it off my my vote will probably be the very last vote counted <laughs> so so john so you you uh you think that Carrie Lake is going to be the next governor of Arizona and that Blake Masters is going to be the next senator from Arizona? Are you saying that that right now? Yeah, that one I'm not sure about at all. A couple of places have called it for Mark Kelly over Blake Masters. I think it's too early because we just don't know what these numbers are going to be. Whoever wins that race, it is going to be to quote the greatest journalists of our lifetime. It will be tight as a tick, as Dan Rather says. Right. And um, I think... I would rather be in Kelly's camp right now than Blake Masters' camp, but we are talking a very, very close affair, a game of inches, as they say, not yards. Okay, all right, so uh, uh, 78%, almost 80% of the vote is in Maricopa County? Yes, uh, and the problem uh, Katie Hobbs that- has a 60,000, maybe more, 60, 65,000 vote advantage, and you think that in that, you're telling me, in that remaining 20%, that's going to be it's going to break for Carrie Lake and make up not just the 60,000 deficit but increase that's what yes. you're that's what you're saying I am promising. Okay, I'm getting overboard here. But no, I truly believe that. That's the way. It's very similar to how it worked during um, the campaign in uh, 2020 with Biden ended up winning. You could just tell at a certain point, okay, it's over. Um, I think certain news agencies counted it, called it too quickly, but it was such a close race. It was like 10,000 votes, but they weren't done counting the votes. But in a few days, you could go, okay, it's over. John, John, this is a podcast. There's no need to be judicious. Go overboard. Well, but wait, so let me just, you know, I mean, I'm looking for, I I have the map of Arizona out. Oh, you and I'm do? just oh. looking for, Mr. I have and I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just, I'm just asking questions here. Just questions. Um, Fire does it looks, steal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. It looks to me, and I could be wrong. It looks to me like the counties that where there's the, the there's the biggest amount of uh, votes left to count are the ones that are breaking for um uh uh carrie uh, for katie hobbs and you're saying that's there's a reason for that is because of the order in which buckets of votes are counted precisely yeah that's exactly it these are all All votes they're counting people who mailed it in a couple weeks ago or whenever they actually received the ballot these are not people they haven't been counting the votes of people who showed up on election day and were 
lazy people like me and mailing in the ballot and uh, just dropped it off. And there was also some difficulty, as we know, with the vote tabulators. That was fixed. And again, we're talking just incompetence on incompetence. And uh, this, I cannot imagine they won't have this fixed by the next election. But um, it makes everybody (laughs) on pins and needles right now. But Blake Masters, yeah, that one... It's too tough to call for me. I would rather be, uh, I'd rather put 10 bucks on Kelly than Masters, but either could win it at this point. Lake, I think, is a foregone conclusion that she will win. So may I ask a couple? So one, you've said several times, it's all innocent, it's all incompetence. I grant Mm -hmm. that a little hesitantly, but I grant that. It would be more fun if you came on here and said, those no good, they're trying. But can you assure us that the incompetence no malice, I grant you that, but the incompetence is not such that it will tend in some minorly systematic way to favor the Democrats. Um, the incompetence think, that has taken place won't affect the outcome of the race at all. Well, the one concern I have, actually, Harmeet Dillon, Ricochet favorite, yes. is on the yes, ground yes. Well, filing lawsuits and keeping people accountable. She actually asked for the election day um, polling places to be opened a few hours later, which the court should have done. They rejected it. That was one thing where I thought, okay, that was a bad move. I don't think it will make a decisive difference. But, you know, they should be doing due diligence. They messed up with the machines, and they should have made that available. It wouldn't have hurt anyone, and it certainly would have delayed the vote, as we've seen here. Um, The problem is we have incompetence going on locally, but also they've spent the past two years ridiculing, mocking, oh, you people who think our elections aren't safe, what morons, you're all wearing tinfoil hats. And then the exact same thing happened two years later. And, you know, I've written about it, and I've gotten... You know, direct messages from election staffers and officers saying, how dare you criticize us? I'm like, how dare you delay this vote? You guys have to right. fix in-house. Instead okay, of- so they're both incompetent and jerks, but it won't affect the outcome. Yeah. So what yeah. went wrong? <clears throat> Why didn't Carrie Lake sweep by such a big... This is the question we're all asking ourselves. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to come down too hard on you, John, although I am trying to get you to breathe a little fire before this is over. <laughs> and, and of course, the, we know the litany. We have a president who's suffering from early onset something other, even if you want to call it just plain old age. We have borders that are wide open, and that ought to affect people in Arizona. Taxes are high, inflation is soaring, inflation is higher for reasons I don't quite understand in Phoenix than in most cities. Item after item after item, if you were a political observer and you didn't even know the party affiliations, you'd say the challenger, challenging party is going to sweep in an election like this. And if Carrie Lake wins, it looks as though it'll be by low single digits. And Blake Masters, if he wins, it may be by single digit votes but it's more likely you think he'll lose. They didn't sweep. That much has been established. In Arizona, of all places, which loves Mavericks, Mm -hmm. Carrie Lake seemed to me to have a Maverick personality. She was as willing to talk back to anybody, the press, all right. Right. What, what, Although she hates, what, they, what she hates the most famous Arizona Maverick, we should say. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. went out of her way to insult the most famous Arizona Maverick. Right. She went out of her way to insult John McCain, the memory yes. of John yes. McCain? Oh, yes. I see. I didn't realize. I, I, I okay, so what went wrong, John? 
Yeah, I'm thinking I, I never believe um, in like monocausal blame. It's all Trump's right. fault. Politics or it's is all complicated. This problem. Um, but I think a lot of things worked into it. One thing is there was a massive spending advantage on the Democratic side. Um, GOP, for some reason, did not invest in digital at all. Um, I barely watch TV and I watch YouTube a lot. And every ad that popped up was for whichever Democrat had bought that spot. Um, I was even getting Spanish language ads. So I think that was where the GOP in general dropped the ball. I think every state is different, but the problem with Lake is people in many people's minds, kind of the respectable upper middle class suburban Republican, registered Republican, Your I people. guess just enough of them thought, eh, we our people, we just don't do that. We don't support, we don't go there. And I think there's still uh, a little bit of that talking to kind of the more kind of John, aren't they right? In the country club. But aren't they right? I mean, to, to, to frame that as a country club Republican versus a maverick is really not terribly descriptive of Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake oh. is a deeply, deeply um, erratic political personality. She was a yoga mom until very recently. She was a pro-choice Buddhist. And then she comes out and she's mad. I mean, if you're a, if you're a conservative, red-rocked Arizona Republican, this is not your dream candidate. She's not a good candidate. I, I would say the problem with her campaign was that she was too front and center. They let her talk too much. Mm-hmm. Had she done a John, uh, she done a Joe Biden campaign and stayed in her basement. She might have been. She might be the the, the absolutely undisputed uh, governor of Arizona today. Well, I think the undisputed maverick right now of Arizona is Kirsten Cinema, and I think that's, that's what true. Arizona likes: <laughs> people who are yeah. willing to buck their party and tweak their own side a little bit. And I think Carrie Lake has just been so prominent in the. Trump, Trump, Trump things. She actually um, had a sideswipe slightly at uh, DeSantis yesterday. And it's like, okay, you need to be welcoming people into your coalition, make them feel comfortable voting for you. And uh, she obviously did not do enough of that. I think she will have enough to get over the finish line. But if you want to actually govern as an executive, you better build coalitions. And the best legislation is bipartisan. So, but do the do, do the do the country club do the country club Republicans then just say, well, you know, I don't like her. She's not our type. She's a little bit too MAGA y. Ergo, I'm content to let the Democrats win. I mean, is mm-hmm. is, is 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 that what they think? I mean, when it comes down to, it, it's like, eh, you know what? I don't like her. Let the Democrats win. It, 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 it seems to me that we're at a point where a lot of people have to do a lot of nose holding for a, all over the spectrum in order to keep the Democrats from winning. Yeah, and I agree completely because you could make the reverse argument and saying, well, I'm not going to vote for a governor who refuses to debate. That's an insult to voters. And um, that would have been closer to my position. But yeah, we're not talking about uh, saints and angels right. here. We're talking about politicians. Right. And I tend to vote for the person who I guess will hurt me slightly less yep. than the other politicians. <laughs> yeah, right. That is but my I mean, look, uh, optimistic the, the tendency, The tendency here when you're when you're when the customers are not buying the product is to blame the customer, right? Mm-hmm. Stupid Republicans should have held their nose and voted for the crazy lady, right? And the, guess what? They didn't do that. They might they might eke it out, and, and, and in which case she might win by ten thousand votes or fifteen or five thousand votes or whatever. She might, um, but they didn't. Uh, all, across the nation, Republicans Republican voters did not hold their nose and vote for the crazy person. In fact, they did the opposite. And you can blame the voters if you want, and you can kind of characterize them as country club Republicans and snooty, snooty, snooters. But the truth is, they were not. The dogs were not eating the dog food. 
And so you either blame the dog food factory or you blame the dogs. And I suspect that the thing to do is to blame the dog food factory, which today is the Republican Party with a bunch of lousy candidates that couldn't get over the finish line in places where they should have. Is that so, am I just am I just being mean again to like all the yes, um, you or are. do I have Republicans, a point after, Republicans after won the popular vote by six million. Are we actually going to like learn something on Tuesday from Tuesday's information or are we going to put our heads in the sand again and say, you know what, actually secretly everybody loves these guys. No, better <laughs> candidates is the answer. But without the better candidates, there's also there. I mean, again, it's coming back to what I said before. We all find ourselves voting for people that we don't particularly like or respect or have come to believe is not what we want. But on the other hand, will they broadly in general advance the agenda that we want and stand athwart the one that we don't? It, it, I mean, yes, blame the candidates, blame the dog food, but blame the dogs, too. I mean, there's 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 a lot to go around here. It's, John, it's, it's not absent Donald Trump, absent Donald Trump, would Kevin Ducey have run for governor? Oh, Doug Ducey. Doug uh, Ducey, I beg your pardon. Yeah, I think he would have run for a uh, senator. He's been term limited. Senator, I'm sorry. But that's the thing is that there's an example of a Republican, and he got caught up and blamed by the stop the steal types. But he has been the most conservative governor in the state's history. He, and would uh, he have won? conservative than Ron DeSantis. He's just quiet and polite and right. Midwestern about it. But he was real. And would, would he have won? Margin. Would Ducey have won? Oh, I think he would be. I think he definitely. Okay, so, th- so that, so that, he's just a guy who quietly gets the job done and goes about his business, and he ends up every vote like this universal school choice. He gets tons of Democrats to support it. So unbelievable, uh, unbelievable. Just, mm-hmm. just to like just to put a plug for a, a politician who wasn't running. Doug Ducey was absolutely the most conservative, most pro school choice. Politicians yes, exactly. in America. Right. He signed That's a right. pro-choice bill in Arizona that Pro was school uh, choice. Is, is revol- uh, sorry, yeah, school choice that is revolutionary. <laughs> and um and by any measure, having Doug Ducey in the United States Senate would would massively advance not just the Republican Party, whatever that is now, but the, the bedrock right. conservative causes that will actually make the country better. And he somehow didn't make it onto the Arizona Senate ballot. And there's Which, that's what, that's what my reason point. would you point for that? It's because he didn't, uh, he actually decided to certify the vote from 2020 and he was blamed as, right. uh, okay. well, he's a collaborator, obviously, when that was some, but I thought the voting was weird in 2020. So I, what I did is I talked to a bunch of experts. I went, oh no, this is how it works. And people who supported Trump, people who opposed him, and they all were giving me the same information, the same, um, sometimes you lose, sometimes you win. And uh, you, you need to be able to roll with that. Um, and yeah, it's you need to, even if you think there is some kind of skullduggery going on, well, okay, you better get out there and make it up on points because you don't want to be the team right. who loses the Super Bowl by a field goal and then whines about the refs for the next year. It's like my look, my my own point here is what you're it, tell me if I'm wrong. And then I, I guess we've got to hop because we've got we, amazingly enough, there are other things in Arizona to discuss, although I could go, really could do this for hours. <laughs> yeah, but. My point actually is closer to Rob's point than I usually like to be, and it is simply this. We're, we're understandably enough, we're trying to figure out what happened 72 hours ago when we should be paying a lot more attention to what happened a year ago in the selection of the candidates. So there was, in Doug Ducey, there was an alternative 
excuse me, a, a simple point because I don't want to start the details of what happened in Arizona. But we now we all know. Wait a minute. If it had been this guy instead of this guy, we'd have a seat in the United States Senate right now. We all feel that, correct? Okay, yes. so now we start work on why was it the wrong guy? And that is going to lead us before this show is over to mentioning the T word, although I may have to do it first just to save Rob. I'm not ignominy. doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'll do it. John, you're a great man, although you didn't quite get Arizona, Arizona where we wanted it. I know. Blame, everybody blame me. Get out your uh, John Voodoo <laughs> doll and. Uh, By the way, you are a beautiful. You are a beautiful blogger your tweets your stuff on ricochet well, i don't know much. how you do it but you have maybe i'm just old enough to be more of a newspaper guy i can't you you convey information humor wit and do it all in bite size you're just wonderful thanks wow. john i appreciate nice it beer too. thank you hi john good see you later <laughs> i was just gonna say uh, you know you're a ricochet guy and a you know, friend of the show and a friend of us all so uh, we're done with you turn your mic off go you <laughs> <laughs> can have you anytime <laughs> Well, who knows what's going to happen in Arizona? We all do, don't we? Right? No, no. The future is indistinct sometimes. Like, for example, when it, when it comes to philanthropy, yeah, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? When it comes to philanthropy, you think, well, they're rock solid. They do the right things. They uh, abide by the values of the country. Not necessarily. The Economist magazine recently reported that American philanthropy is uh, going woke and predominantly funding liberal causes. Now, do you want to help counterbalance this liberal influence? If so, consider listening to Giving Ventures. Giving Ventures, it's a podcast available on the Ricochet Audio Network. I'll give you an idea of the liberty-minded organizations working to erase the heavy hand of government so individuals can prosper and thrive. Giving Ventures is a podcast designed to help donors and prospective donors discover new opportunities to change the world for the better. Twice a month, the Giving Ventures podcast highlights several nonprofit efforts, initiatives, and projects that leverage private philanthropy to solve public problems. Recently, they were joined by Star Parker, founder and president of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, as a charity that works with lawmakers to craft policy that lifts people out of poverty. Also, they spoke with Kendall Qualls, president of Take Charge MN, as in Minnesota, well, their organization promotes common sense family policy and vocational training. And they spoke to Bob Woodson, founder and president of the Woodson Center, a charity that helps revitalize low-income communities. The show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and a largest donor-advised fund helping conservative and libertarian givers simplify, protect, and grow their giving. The team of Donors Trust regularly engages with the policy groups, student organizations, academic centers, and civil society nonprofits that endeavor to limit government, grow personal responsibility and strengthen free enterprise. If you care about the principles of liberty and if charitable giving is an important part of your life, Giving Ventures is the podcast for you. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Go to ricochet.com to find it. Catch up on the latest episode by visiting www.donorstrust.org slash podcast. And we thank Donors Trust for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. And now we welcome back to the podcast, Luke Thompson, a Republican political consultant. He's the executive director of the Protect Ohio Values Pack, a network of grassroots conservatives that helped J.D. Vance to the Republican nomination and eventually, as of Wednesday's call, to the U.S. Senate. Welcome back, Luke. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. So 2022, red wave, <clears throat> red splash, red trickle, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Vance is one of the bright spots for people. What notes should consultants and campaign managers and all the rest of the people who are busy putting together their their uh, their playbook for the next election, what should they be taking from the Vance campaign? 
Um, I, I think, you know, one of the things that we're seeing this cycle is, is there's not an obvious national trend. So I want to be a little hesitant to, to give people too much advice coming out of Ohio. Um, I, I would say JD has a lot of distinctive st- strengths as a candidate, um, but probably one of the things that he has um, best under, under sort of in hand, especially for a first-time candidate. I mean, I think we've seen a lot of first-time candidates struggle uh, is he knows what he thinks about things. He has clear thoughts about the issues. He knows them and he can articulate them and connect and connect them together into a broader worldview. Um, you know, I think after 2016, there's been a, a wave of people from business, from entertainment, from other parts of, of the world who have said, look, uh, you know, if Donald Trump can come in and, and do this, I can come in and do this without any prior political experience. And in, in matching that to an environment in which you had a lot of, of people who were very frustrated with um, right. a government they felt was non-responsive, there were opportunities there. Um, but, you know, J.D. stands out because he's a very thoughtful person, he's a very intelligent person, and he's been deep in these issues and, and discussions for a long time. So, there weren't a whole lot of questions he got asked on the trail that weren't questions he'd been asked in some other setting or that he hadn't asked himself and, and he didn't have thoughts or at minimum instincts about. Um, right. and so I think that's what set him apart. Right. Luke, could I, could I push, put, let me flip it around the other way because you're a professional and sure. you can take anything. What's JD's final margin now? Do we know he up by, uh, he's, he's about 53%, get... I think. So he's about five and a half. Yeah. Five and a half points. Okay. Mike DeWine won by 25. Six years ago, I, Rob I, I Portman... Just to correct, I, I think he's actually closer to six, six and a half. Okay. Six, I mean, so we're still in single now. digits. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a pretty decisive win. It's a decisive win, but Mike DeWine won by 25 points. And six years ago, running for the Senate seat, Rob Portman won by 21 points. Sure. Both uh, those again, we, for we, there's still the even in the... Time. Sure. I'm sorry? How much, how much did Mike DeWine win by four years ago when he wasn't running for re-election? Okay, so if, if the answer, you, you can see where I'm going. To what extent yeah. did even J.D. Vance, thoughtful, telegenic, did, did, to what extent did even J.D. Vance underperform because of national problems? We're heading, of course, into MAGA country. And to what extent was it just as this is about what you'd expect from a first-time candidate who's establishing name recognition, went through a rough primary, and so forth? What's your answer to that I, Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think both of those are set. So the rough primary is a thing that we should talk about because I have some, there, there are some contrary views there. Mike DeWine won four years ago by three points. Um, Got it. Running against okay. Richard Cordray, who is not, nearly as good a candidate as Tim Ryan. Now, I, I would right. submit that Cordray ran a better campaign than he was a candidate. Ryan was a better candidate than he ran a campaign. Nonetheless, um, you know, open seats draw in national money. Um, J.D. had huge sums of money spent against him first in the primary starting in September of last year and running more or less continuously up until Election Day. Um, and, and he withstood that spending, whereas other candidates were seeing folded underneath it. Um, certainly having a May primary was an advantage as opposed to say an August primary. Um, but yeah, it, it's, um, it's tough. I think the national environment is, it's a national environment of people running to safety. You know, Laura Kelly got reelected in Kansas, the democratic governor in, uh, the state I'm originally from, which was a shock to me because she was running against Derek Schmidt as normal a Republican as you can find two term attorney general, good guy, competent professional, he lost. Um, I think that whatever the meta theory of this race is has to take into account things like that as well. 
another thing. An individual like races, you mean? You, uh, individual yes, exactly. context, right? So, can I can I ask you about about uh, I'm just um, so I'm just going to throw out the, the cliches we hear, right? Sure. Um, if you're uh, touched by Trump, you're toxic. JD Vance was endorsed by Trump, and that's a fairly significant. I mean, I mean, I don't know, I don't know Ohio as well, but I'm looking. At it. It's just like a fairly significant victory for uh, a choice. I mean, yes, he did. Uh, people, Republicans went in, or people went in. Conservative Republicans, conservatives went in and voted for Mike Dewine, and they did not vote for JD Vance. And there's a reason for that. And you say one of the reasons is because um, they don't, they didn't know him as well. Whatever that is. I mean, he he ran a strong campaign. He was, in my opinion, a very strong candidate. Um, and I agree, Ryan, won. the opposition was a strong candidate he, as well. Yeah, That's but he a won. Fair point. But, uh, but it, the, the Trump Association didn't hurt him at all. It, so let me try this out on you. That um, of the two of them, J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan, J.D. Vance seems more like the guy you see is the guy who's going to go to D.C., is the guy who believes what he says he believes. And Tim Ryan felt like... Uh, a very smart politician who was running in a conservative state and knew he was too liberal for a statewide. And so kind of didn't seem like he was himself. And so my conclusion is, and tell me if I'm full of it, my conclusion is that the, the toxic Trump stain is not nearly as fatal as being a dishonest, untrustworthy candidate to people today. So that's the difference between J.D. Vance and Dr. Oz. Does that work? I think, yeah, I think the second part of that's really important, which goes to trust. And we saw this in our polling as we got into the general election, is that, you know, Ryan was seen as a moderate coming out of the primary. He was, very few people thought that there were two Tim Ryans, one who said one thing in Ohio and voted another way in in Washington, by the time the election day rolled around, more than half of more <laughs> Maybe than half by the of time Ohioans, you got done with him, right? <laughs> well, there, yeah. there were a lot of people. There were a lot of people putting um, putting their shoulders to the oar uh, in Ohio, and and we needed it because Tim Ryan raised forty million dollars, something like that, uh, just an obscene amount of money. Um, but yeah, he uh, he was defined by election day as a guy who said one thing and then another. I would probably abstract out one level, Rob, and say. There was a real hunger for stability here in the electorate. If you look across a lot of these races, I think that's why incumbents did, did well. And I think, you know, with an open seat like this, you know, you're getting something new regardless. You can't help yourself. Now, yes, Tim Ryan's a 20 year congressman, but he's just the northeast corner of the state. And so the overwhelming majority of Ohioans were faced with, OK, we're getting something new. What version of new do we want? Because we can't right. fall back on predictability. Okay, and that's, that's why Democratic that. incumbents seem to have done well. Republican incumbents seem to have done well. There were notable exceptions. Kathy Hochul, clearly, who had never been elected before, got tagged as an unstable figure, and Republicans in New York did very well, even though she won. Hey, Luke. Yeah, sorry. may I ask? May we come to it? May May I ask? You helped JD run JD Vance's campaign. This is Florida was not your bailiwick this time around. But So uh, you get to, to uh, dodge this question if you want to, but here we go. Two quotations. Here's former President Donald Trump tweeting yesterday, now Ron DeSanctimonious, who won re-election in Florida by 
almost 20%, and even carried the urban vote by 55%. Trump tweets, now Ron DeSanctimonious is playing games. The fake news asks him if he's going to run if President Trump runs, and he says, I'm only focused on the governor's race. I'm not looking into the future. Well, in terms of loyalty and class, note that, Rob, Donald Trump is lecturing us on loyalty and class. In terms of loyalty and class, that's really not the right answer. That's Donald Trump. Here's the second quotation. Here's Alex Berenson tweeting not long after. Now Trump has run into a rival who is every bit as angry as he is, but younger, harder working, far more disciplined, and far, far smarter. What you are seeing is the old lion realizing he's being chased from his watering hole to die. Trump's fear is palpable and pathetic. Close quote. Okay, I guess my question here is, is it all going to come down to Trump and DeSantis, or should we just put that aside and think through the specifics and contingent matters in this race, the other race, the four districts we picked up in the Hudson Valley? And if you want to know what happened, is Trump versus DeSantis useful? And if you want to know what will happen, is Trump versus DeSantis useful? Or do you have to engage in a fine-grained analysis, state by state, race by race? Um, I just remember when I joined the Jeb Bush team in early 2015, all the conversations we were having about uh, the timing of the epic showdown with Ted Cruz to come. Right. Um, <laughs> I was a long way off. And, and I think there is a desire on the part of, of Trump enthusiasts to shut down a primary. And I think there's a desire on the part of DeSantis enthusiasts to shut down a primary. And I think we'd, we'd all do very, very well to go on vacation for the next couple of weeks, chill out and let people fight it out a little bit. Um, you know, 16 was a bloody and a brutal primary and uh, we came through it and won the general election. Uh, 2020 on the Democratic side was a pretty bloody and brutal primary and they came through it and they won the election. Um, the instinct to stave off primaries is very understandable. It's very understandable, but I think it's often misguided. JD won a bloody and brutal primary in Ohio. That drove up the negatives um, among Democrats vis-a-vis -vis him, and it meant he had to cobble the party back together in many respects. But it also made him a much stronger candidate. And you know, there is a, a narrative out there that the presidential endorsement pulled him from last place to first. But all of my internal polling, which is a matter of public record because we had been putting it on a blog for others to see, um, showed the opposite: that we were coming into first, uh, that we'd already tied, and we were moving up. And that's when um, that was the time at which we got. Uh, you know, we got picked up by the president and endorsed. Um, so I think I think tough primaries are good. Yeah. So but just to talk about that. So the endorsement, just a little bit of because uh, I don't sure. know I, I, you're and you're now in the I guess you're now in the position of revealing all the secrets. So sure. You're there in the campaign run, running that primary campaign and it looks neck and neck. It looks like it, at least from the outside. We didn't have internal polling then. We only had external polling. It looked like it was going to be really tight and that J.D. might not win that primary. Um, and then you got peter teal to give you some money and the all, the rumors always been the peter okay so so did the money help or did the money help give you the head start when you won the primary were you already on a trajectory I mean, put it this way when you showed peter teal your fundraising deck were you showing a line that's going up and to the right this is good news put your money behind a, a, a winner or were you showing uh, a, a a a race that you were going to lose if you didn't get money you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm the opposite. So yeah, yeah. So it's it's the the sequencing runs in opposite. P 
Peter uh, Thiel and some other people donated a sizable amount of money to a super PAC to show that JD had support before he announced his candidacy. Right. Um, early, and as a early. way to sort of, in, very early, as a way to encourage him to run and to hopefully keep some people out. We didn't keep people out, but it did encourage him to run. I ran that super PAC right. on the outside, so I couldn't, I couldn't talk to JD. He announced, he pursued a really aggressive earned media strategy that got him a lot of attention. He started to move up in the polls. That was designed, I suspect, well, I now know because I've had the conversations with them, um, to bait his opponents into spending their resources early trying to knock him down to prevent him from getting endorsed. Um, They did that. They ran out of money. We came in the next, we waited, we held our fire, held our fire, held our fire, and then went in in the new year, which would be this year, 2022, between February and April, with the idea that the president would endorse sometime around the beginning of early voting. That was a guess that we made, but it wound up being correct. So we wanted JD to be at the peak and also growing when early voting started. That was what we spent our money trying to do. And he found himself in first place as early voting was starting with Mike Gibbons, successful businessman who'd spent a lot of money tailing off, and Josh Mandel, a two-term state treasurer and two-term Senate candidate, flatlining at the position that he had basically been at through the entire election. And Jane Jane Timken was never, was Jane Timken ever a factor? Um, I, I, she, she just didn't really take off with the electorate. I, I believe that she made a pretty aggressive push for the endorsement early on. Um, but the president sort of said, look, you need to go win it out there in the field. And she, she didn't, um, you know, I think Jane was a pretty good party chair. I don't have anything bad to say about her, but she just, it didn't work. Right. 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 And then what about, what do you make of, what do you make of the Wall Street Journal's claim the other day that J.D. Vance owes a great debt of gratitude to Mitch McConnell, not just Donald Trump for the endorsement, but perhaps even more so for Mitch McConnell. Trump spent very little money in that campaign, whereas McConnell swung around the big money guns and put, I can't remember the numbers, but a lot of money into the campaign. He, he certainly, so Senate leadership funds specifically which is a super PAC that, that supports um, McConnell. Um, look, I think um, I, I would point out that Save America, the Trump super PAC, spent a lot of money um, uh, in super Ohio. PAC. They, they did, yeah, they did. Um, but okay. so did Senate Leadership Fund. So I think we've got a lot of people that we're grateful to, um, quite a few. And, you know, the, the reality is, and this is something that Republicans uh, are going to have to tangle with, is the Act Blue machine can turn on and it can target a candidate, and it can kind of turn a midterm state into a presidential state um, because there are enough small dollar Democratic donors out there who will shell out, you know, twenty dollars a night, fifty dollars a night, hundred dollars a week, whatever the number is, uh, to candidates that they engage with on television, such that those folks, even though they don't wind up winning, um, are able to be major, major sources of of sort of tying down money um so yeah we we have to reckon that 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 doesn't change act blue okay so the argument we keep i keep dancing around it what i want to know is is it your secret decision your secret conclusion from this campaign that the really one exigent fact is that donald trump needs to go away everything would have been easier including Act Blue would have been found it much, much harder to prompt small donors across the country to dump in their tens and their twenties and their hundreds, absent Donald Trump. Do you buy no, I, that? Because that is I quickly don't. coalescing. 
uh, conclusion. Go ahead. I don't. And, and I, I think there's I think that's I understand where that coalescence is coming from, because it's a simple explanation. Um, and I'm totally willing to say that I might be too close and know too many details about too many things. Um, but no, I, I, it's not that simple. Um, first of all, I don't think ActBlue answers to what we do. I think it's, it's as a Democratic consultant friend said to me, this is like putting money in the collection plate and shopping on QVC all at the same time. Um, <laughs> people sit there and watch MSNBC and CNN and they see the candidates and they open up their phones and they, they just, they hit the button. Um, and our people aren't doing that. Uh, and so it's not, it doesn't reduce like that. I just, I just don't think it's that simple. Well, this is related and I'm going to ask it because I'm stupid, but before when you were mentioning why people voted the way they did on both sides, you mentioned stability. Now, a lot of people look around here and say, you know, the, where we are right now, inflation, economic contraction, energy issues, and the rest of it, uh, it may be stable, but it's not good. And maybe stability is not something we want to preserve. Or are you referring to some sort of sort of vague in the miasma of the cultural stability when it comes to institutions and character and behavior and the rest of it? And when people say they want stability, what they what they want is the sense that the government itself is not going to go off the rails anytime soon. It may not be doing the bang up job that we want, but we don't want to dissolve it and have face painted guys with horns running through our, uh, our capitals. Is that what you mean? I, I, I think people were reticent to take risks. Um, and, you know, if you look at a place like Wisconsin, where, um, you know, Tim Michaels, a business guy was running against, um, you know, Tony Evers, who's kind of a pots of a governor, you know, Evers is a quintessential case of a guy you would think would be beaten. And Michaels was a perfectly capable candidate. Um, but I think, I think as I reflect on a lot of these races, you have better known office holders with some baseline political skill and some baseline political trust. You know, John Fetterman might be the best case of this. Terrible as he is, the guy is the lieutenant governor of the state. He has held office and the sky hasn't fallen. And while everybody is mad at Joe Biden and everybody's pissed off at inflation and everybody believes crime is out of control and the, the border is a major issue. I think in a lot of cases, you know, I look at the Toledo congressional district that that we massively underperformed in as a party. We ran a guy who's a nice guy. I've met him. He's a nice guy, but he's he's not. He probably would have benefited from two terms of seasoning in the state legislature. And and I think that those sorts of those sorts of races leave a lot on the table. It's it's very it's important to think about this. Republicans massively overperformed with Hispanic voters. We massively overperformed in rural areas. We are almost certainly going to win the national popular vote for the House. We'll see California's dropping votes, but we're almost certainly going to do that. We also had a better geographic distribution of our voters, and we're still going to have a smidgen of a House majority. That means that there were places where... Yeah. So this, so the Dobbs effect is not real, or we would see this everywhere, right? We would see Republicans losing the national popular vote. But it means that in very discrete spots, our our inefficiency or our our weaknesses was were very efficiently distributed. And I think that that has a lot to do with first time candidates running in places where, realistically, somebody who'd been in the state legislature, a traditional politician, might have done a lot better. Right, right. I buy that. I mean, I I, I think in general, I mean, this is now the period in which people are obsessed with what 
the Republicans did wrong. But I think in the next week or so, when the, all the sort of numbers are collected, we said this on Tuesday night, it looked to me like the party that's doing the biggest changing right now is the Democratic Party because of the the losses they're seeing with Hispanics and with you know the tr- their traditional ethnic groups, and that that is something that is a a slow glacial move that is very very hard to stop once it starts. But can I can I just talk about uh, just the House? So yeah, what is interesting to me is that it seems like the uh, the the races we're left like thinking about are in Arizona or California or New York, Oregon or Washington. They're like on the coasts. Um, there are places where we would have thought to ourselves, well, that, I mean, it doesn't even matter who, like, if I told you that there are, you know, uh, there's an Oregon race up for grabs, you'd probably say, oh, it's, it's not like whatever that, whatever the district is, you'd think it'd be pretty liberal, right? I mean, are we looking at, I guess what I'm trying to say is all we've heard for the past five, six, seven, eight, ten years is that redistricting, depending on who's in charge, redistricting is a giant disaster but aren't we looking at a pretty volatile, interesting, changeable, unpredictable electro- uh, electoral map that suggests that the voters will continue to surprise you? You simply cannot manipulate them to vote the way you want them to vote? I certainly think we're looking at what over the next decade might be a lot of dummy manders. Um, a lot of what? Party, yeah. uh, what we what? call them dummy manders, where, parties, where a party thinks that they've carved out a really efficient seat but they've missed certain changes in the electorate. And so you carve out a seat to protect one of your people and it snaps the other way very quickly and then you're locked in. Hey, sorry, I know it's crazy, crazy to interrupt Luke when he's on a roll and Rob and Peter and the rest of it. Uh, But you know what else is crazy? You know what else is madness? Holiday shopping. Holiday, you you don't want to do it, do you? No, you want to get it all out of the way as soon as possible. And you can do that by ordering online from Raycon. And you're already doing it right now, except you're wondering, wait a minute, what is Raycon? Well, if you haven't heard our ads before, let me tell you about them. Right now, you can shop early and skip the stress and snag some of the best deals of the season on something that everybody will love, and that's premium audio products from Raycon. When you're looking for a gift that everyone needs or a stocking stuffer that's not a you know a candle or you know chocolate bar, Raycons are the way to go. Their wireless earbuds, headphones, and speakers offer premium sound useful features, an almost custom, comfortable fit. Oh, they're great. I love to put those in my ears. 54 hours of battery life. They can stay there for a long time too. And as the person who's gifting them, you gotta love that they started half the price of the other premium audio brands. Plus, Raycon makes it easy with holiday gift guides for everyone in your life. So knock that list out at once and get 30% off by shopping Raycon's holiday bundles. Everyone needs a pair of Raycons in their ears, whether it's for listening to music or taking work calls or blasting out a workout playlist, or of course, listening to the Ricochet podcast. You know what everyone doesn't need though? Two little obvious white stems hanging out of their ears. Luckily, Raycons are sleek and stylish and come in a range of colors to match anyone's style. You can find Raycon in stores now, like Kohl's or Walmart. But let me tell you, you're, you're always going to get the best deal when you use our special link, buyraycon.com slash ricochet. The Raycon website offers buy now and pay later options too, so you can get your Christmas shopping done now and not have to worry about a bill coming. And believe me, when the bill does come though, it's still not going to be what you pay for the other guys. Right now, go to buyraycon.com slash ricochet and use the code EARLYBF to get 20% off site-wide. 
Early BF, one word. That's 20% off any Raycon product, which you know almost never happens. Or even save bigger and get 30% off Raycon's exclusive holiday bundles. That's code early BF, E-A-R-L-Y-B-F at buyraycon.com slash ricochet for 20% off your Raycon purchase. Buyraycon.com slash ricochet. And we thank Raycon for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Hey, Luke, could I ask one? One, um, I'm thinking now back to a moment ago when you worked for Jeb Bush and thought Ted Cruz mm-hmm. was going to be the opponent in the primary, just shook all kinds of things up, and we won the general. And then JD Vance goes into a primary with facing very accomplished figures. There's fire in the form of Josh Mandel, there's the old Republican establishment in the form of Jane Timken, and the primary makes him a better figure, better candidate, mm-hmm. and he wins. Okay. So in my circle of Republicans, these are friends, uh, they don't have a fingertip feel for it the way a professional like you does, but they've been watching politics a long time. Before the election, the thinking was, if Trump announces he clears the field, Ron DeSantis is too good for us to wish him to tilt at that to 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 destroy his career by running against Don, Donald Trump he should just wait it out Ted Cruz won't get in it if Trump announces he clears the field um it looks as though after the election excuse me in the final 48 hours of the election Ron DeSantis began campaigning up north for candidates every bit the presidential contender your view would be if Trump gets in, let DeSantis get in. For that matter, let Cruz, let Ted Cruz get in. Let's have a real primary and let these guys slug it out. There's nothing to fear. The party and the country have nothing to fear from that. Is that your view? My view is that, and, and I learned this the hard way in 2016, that we, we think that the primary electorate is comprised of, of slices of a pie or lanes, if you want. And voters are much more dynamic than that. Um, you know, when we realized pretty early on, I was at the Jeb super PAC that, that Trump was essentially creating a two man race between himself and Jeb as a, as a proxy. And he was beating up on Jeb and Jeb was not hitting back. Um, we saw our voters go not exclusively to Marco Rubio or John Kasich. A lot of them went to Trump. Um, voters tend to read candidate proximity to one another in ways that you would find surprising. Um, not always, but, but often. And so my general view is that the idea that there's a hard anti-Trump part of the Republican electorate and a hard diehard pro-Trump part of the electorate that, and that those are fixed ossified things, that's true in the commentariat. That is not true in the electorate. Voters are fearful yes. when they move, and nowhere is that more true than Iowa, where you now have you have a few tens of thousands of people who sit around in high school gymnasiums in the weather that killed Buddy Holly, and decide who the leader of the free world is going to be. <laughs> That's um, right. And so, I I am a big believer in in you know trust the voters, listen to them, put your best case in front of them, understand that they may repudiate you, but in general they're not stupid. So your advice to Ron DeSantis today would be, go for it. Well, I, I look, I'm not going to give any individual person advice that I'm not advising, but fortune favors the bold. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't give free advice, my friend. That's not the way, uh, <laughs> that's not the business you're in. Um, well, the, all right, uh, I, I'd also we... say, look, per- personal considerations are huge in this. Anybody with children 
who are young any of i mean running through the pre- a presidential campaign is like running yes. through the thresher and so hey, hey. i i don't even mean that in a political sense just it's a tough decision Luke, a point, piece of advice for you personally. You're wearing a Johns Hopkins baseball cap and a Carhartt jacket. You need to you need to unify your messaging, man. That's too confusing. Right. The, that's I'm very the, Baltimore, by the way. As a, as a son of Baltimore, I tell you, that's a very Baltimore thing. Um, okay, uh, blah blah blah. Yeah, high talk. We, we've heard it now. You, we, you know, you, we've paid you for the, your time. Now it's brass text. What is the Republican the number? I need their number. How? What's the majority? A Republican majority in the House at the end of all of this? If, in fact, there is a majority, which it looks like there's going to be. But what are we talking about? A one seat, two seat? You have to give us a real number. We're going to hold you to this. And if you're wrong, we uh, we get a. I don't know what we're going to do. If you're right, I um, mean, we'll let you come on the podcast again. Um, I, I, I honestly, I don't know. I, I wish I did. Um, I see California <laughs> says they got four and a half million more votes to count. So it looks like Mike, Mike Garcia is going to win. It looks like, so that's, I mean, that's good. I think they've already called it for, um, I think they've already called it for young Kim and Michelle Steele. Um, yeah. I don't, I think Ken Calvert will probably pull it out. I think um, probably, unfortunately, Katie, per- uh, Katie Porter will survive and Mike Levin will survive. So, you know, I don't know. It looks like we'll pick up a few seats in California um, or maybe at least one. Um, and what about it, it Joe Kent like up in gonna- Washington? taking losses uh, that one's tough um i i i know he's down about two points right now and there's mm-hmm. still about uh, maybe a third of the vote out um i have not looked at the distribution of that and because it's an all-male election sometimes the precincts don't actually line up with the votes in the same way that you would expect so um i don't know i don't know if joe's going to pull it out um that would be i think a top target um, and then I, I can't comment on Ireland six because I took over Neil Parrott's campaign after the primary and he ran a great campaign. We got outspent about 35 to one and it looks like it's a, it's coming down to the wire with absentee ballots. So, um, yeah. Well, I'll make a prediction. <laughs> you want to hear my prediction? <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, Republicans by one seat, because that would be the funniest, weirdest, worst possible outcome for everyone. <laughs> Uh, so a t- what do you think, a tied Senate and Republicans by one or Republicans by one seat in each chamber? I think it's a tied. I think it's a de- Democratic Senate by by one, okay. basically, and a Republican House by one because uh, we don't deserve nice things. No, no, nobody. Deserves That's what I think. Things. Yeah. We are all sinners deserving of. of, 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 uh, of <laughs> exactly right. right. Exactly of right. Loss. Luke, did you say that? People in Iowa sitting around in high school gymnasiums in weather that killed Buddy Holly. I may have said that. Yeah, I, I, yeah <laughs> indeed. I hate to be that guy, but it was not weather. Actually, it was the impact of the plane upon the ground. The cornfield. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm a Boy, for a guy for somebody who hates to be that guy. You're pretty good at it. We. Uh, <laughs> I'm north of Iowa, and we don't walk around here saying it's cold enough to kill a cricket. But I get your point, and I and I, I do like the reference. It is cold, and it should. It, and and in here in Minnesota too, we brave cold, freezing temperatures to uh, to go and chatter about these things in gym. I great conversation, learned a lot as ever, and uh, hope to have you back again soon as possible. And uh, you know, hope you uh, will be here in twenty twenty four to discuss the great victory that swept the nation and <clears throat> confounded the pollsters, et cetera, et cetera. Luke Thompson, <laughs> Thank talk fingers crossed. Thanks, Thanks guys. Good talking to you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Luke. Of course, Buddy Holly famously died at the uh, 
winter dance after the conclusion of the winter dance party, which reminds you that there are probably parties that you have to arrange now because the holidays are galloping towards us. My wife just yesterday was making reservations uh, on the 23rd of December for a restaurant so you can go there and see Whoa. this thing and it's already stacking up. This is the time of the year when, of course, it's merry and bright and all these things and festive, but it gets more hectic and that can be a problem as well. Back to school, wedding seasons, holiday prep, cutting it close this season. We go from one thing to the other. Cutting it close well, with their incredibly sharp razors and refills that arrive in the nick of time, Harry's oh, nice. is the official sponsor. Nice use of, of nick. Close. Well, that's just it. That's the great thing about Harry's blades. I've never in my life uh, encountered a razor company that would that would use the word nick because it makes you think of it. But you know, there's not a not a nick in a carload, as they used to say about the uh, the, the smokes. I've never cut myself in my Harry's blades, and I've been using them oh, for years. Either. Why? Because uh, it's a high quality shave. It's low cost, and it frankly beats every single blade I've tried in my life. And I've tried them all, and I've tried the other ones that you can get online as well. Nope, keep coming back to Harry's. You can find out why they're great and get started with a Harry starter set. How much is it? You say, God, I don't want to pay a lot of it's three bucks, three dollars. What do you get? You get a free travel size body wash as well. And if you've ever seen the Harry's body washes, they have interesting, uh, not, not off the, the, the spectrum aromas, but I think one of them I was looking at. And one of the, one of the flavor profiles was stone. I bought it, I think just because I wanted to know what stone smelled like. And I you know used it and I thought, yeah, that's, that's right. That's, that's stones. Well, of course, that's just one little part of it. Five-blade razor in the set, a weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover. It's a $16 value for just three bucks. Wow. Visit harrys.com slash ricochet for that. Now, with Harry's, you always have everything you need to get a great shave. The starter set, which starts at $3, and the refill blades are as low as $2 each and delivered right to your door. So you can stop spending money on razors that are overpriced by design. And you don't just save money with Harry's. You skip the long, unpleasant wait at the store. Everyone's shuffling along. Harry's brings the razor to you. Don't waste any more time comparing brands. No, Harry's has the best, highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, and they're still offering a no-risk trial. So no matter how busy things get stay fresh with aries get your harry's starter set today and you'll also get a free travel-sized body wash and you will love that go to harrys.com slash ricochet that's harrys.com slash ricochet and we thank harry's for sponsoring this the ricochet podcast now at this point um when many of you listen to this you will uh well the ship will have sailed literally and with it uh, the opportunity for a ricochet meetup right rob yes um Part of the fun of Ricochet, obviously, the podcast, the people get on the podcast, the friends and and uh, and our large our large group of friends and uh, colleagues. Um, but the biggest part of it is the Ricochet meetups, where you get to meet actual members and hang out, and that is where um, that's where you come in, a Ricochet IRLs, we say. So where do you do that? Well, when you join Ricochet.com, you find out it's all on the site in the member area. But we can give you some hints. Uh, the National View Institute cruise, I guess, leaves today or tomorrow. So if you're on the cruise or you're, you can make a run for it. Uh, they're gonna there's gonna be a ricochet meet up there, um, and you know at the, at the first I was like I don't really want to go on that cruise because, you know it's gonna be a red wave. Everybody's gonna be celebrating. It's not as interesting. Um, you know I don't know maybe I'm I'm just a weirdo. But I was, ah, now I really want to go on it because it's like gonna be really fascinating to hear the analysis. I'm just more interested in more interested in that. But there's also one a ricochet meet up scheduled in Pittsburgh on December 10th. And the 11th, so it's a two-day event. Uh, there's one in Sarasota in January on the weekend of the 14th. There's another one in Vacaville, California on January 28th. 
And we're going to New Orleans next year for French Quarter Fest. So put that on your calendar. And now look, these are the dates we have. So look, some of you may be thinking, I can't get to Vacaville. Um, actually, Vacaville is a nice place, but whatever. Uh, and that, uh, or the, the, it's the wrong time, or it's the wrong weekend for you. It's a big country, money's tough, whatever. Um, if the, these meetups I've just mentioned are not available to you, you are not doomed to a lonely ricochet-less existence. You just have to join Ricochet, pick a time and a place, and I guarantee you, Ricochet members will come to you. Um, so for details on all this stuff, go to ricochet.com slash events, find the module and sidebar on the site, join Ricochet, and we will see you Ricochet IRL. Mind you, that whole coming to you thing is voluntary. It, it, it's not as though you uncloak <laughs> and all of a sudden you're Dar Dorkins with 17 people that you've never met before. <laughs> yeah, well, be who knows? Eager to come in. No, it's more like a secret society where we where we have little sig- little whistles that we blow in public and people realize the signal and say, oh, you're one of those. No, that's not true. You do not, do not get a whistle when you join Ricochet. But you do get a lot of great conversation because at the member feed, which is hidden to the general public, uh, that's where uh, the, the things discussed are wide ranging and fantastic. Yesterday, we were just talking about the uh, the people who are gluing themselves and defacing and because now I they're 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 branching out from the old masters that everybody loves to iconic art apparently that were supposed to be that uh, I I don't know if they're trying to out to alarm a different set of people. In other words, they've exhausted the people who are alarmed at vandalism of old masters. Now they're going to go after the people who are, who would be horrified that something as precious as a Warhol would be defaced. Um, I'm not sure what to make of the efficacy of this, except that everybody seems to hate them deeply and wish that they would go away. It doesn't really do anything for their cause or does it? Gentlemen, do you think that there's no such thing as bad publicity? And after all, we're talking about it now, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about it in the sense that nobody has any intention of following the prescriptions of these little battles. We talked about COVID a lot, too. It didn't make it popular. Um, No, look, I think this is a classic example of people who, I mean, first of all, I mean, I'm breaking my rule, which is always take people, uh, you know, in good faith. Um, but I have a hard time uh, taking anybody who's interested in climate change, good faith, who's not gluing themselves, is gluing themselves to a Van Gogh instead of gluing themselves to a shuttered nuclear power plant saying, mm-hmm. I will unglue myself when you turn this damn thing on. Mm-hmm. Like it just, if you, uh, uh, there's a, I just saw a clip of a, of a young person. It's always a young person with that kind of like vacant look, the Mooney look, the kind of, uh, frankly, the Manson family look, uh, arguing with a TV uh, interviewer is saying, um, the emissions keep going up and up and up, which is, of course, not true. They're not going up and up and up. They're actually slowing. They went down in the United States anyway. So if you're unwilling to face facts that are actually happening and then and then uh, reason from those facts, um, then why on earth should I care if you glue yourself to uh, the floor or the painting? What I would do if I were running these museums is simply remove all the other paintings, lock the doors to that gallery and wait a bit and my guess is that those just from the looks of them there's not much grit or determination in those people they are um following a fad and if you uh, make it unpleasant enough for them to follow that fad next year they'll have another irritating fad but it at least be something different that's my that would be how i would run my museum where i'm running a museum yeah we all want them to be left in the dark until they starve and pee their pants but what <laughs> yeah. i want is for somebody to stop them i want somebody to stop them if you were walking into a, a, a gallery and you have a bucket of 
porridge or you've got soup or you yes. have a can or something like that, which they somehow have managed to get past security. Yeah, how do they how. do that? I once, I mean, there are guys who will sit there and and give you the hairy eyeball if you get a little too close to the painting. Yeah, alarms it'll, will go it'll off and they'll ring. stop yeah. because you're not. How do they do? Well, I, I tend to suspect that in some instances you have uh, you have museums that just sort of sigh and say, "Well, we can't really do anything about this. We have a policy in place where we don't stop them." It's just like people knowing that you can walk into a Walgreens and just simply clear out the beauty cosmetics counter and nobody will stop you because security is forbidden to do so. Loss prevention doesn't. So I think they perhaps factored that in. Or we're going to get sued if we do something. I want to know where where are the people who are standing around who look at this and don't tackle them? Exactly. This may may be the modern equivalent of, uh, well, you know, if I'd been there uh, and had the opportunity to shoot Hitler or something, you know, you cast yourself into scenarios. You you like to think that you do the right thing. I'd like to think that if I was at a museum and I saw one of these people, and it's not hard to tell because they're undernourished and wan and 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 carrying buckets of pea soup, carrying buckets of soup and have multicolored hair. That you would be on the alert, as we were told, if you see something, say something, do something, and flatten them. It would be deeply satisfying to knock the paint can out of their hands. It would be <laughs> deeply satisfying to knock them to the ground. And just and to do so on behalf of, well, you know what? I do it on behalf of a, of, of, of a war hall. I do it on behalf of a bacon, and I hate bacon. I do it on behalf of <laughs> de Kooning, and I can't stand de Kooning. There are de Koonings that could actually be improved with a spray paint can, but I would still <laughs> respect the integrity of the work and knock that little sod down. <laughs> principle, principle matters. Principle matters. Well, you know what? I think that's All I want I now is bacon. I just am hungry now for bacon. I have not to if you saw, just be not honest. If, yeah, not if you saw his works. Not at no, the most bacon. appetizing iteration of the concept of bacon as you can possibly imagine. Hey, folks, this podcast, which we are getting out to you in record time, so you you know you, you don't want to sit around for 90 minutes and hear us flapper jaws all the time, right? Uh, unless I'm missing something, Peter, Rob, am I missing something? You never no. missed anything, so the answer to that is no. Well, there's a million things we could discuss from from Twitter to Ukraine, I, but you know, and there's yeah, Rob. I, no, I was going to say, I, I I think it's interesting, right? Because like, there's there's a lot going on in the world. There um, is. There's a lot going on in the world, and yet, I mean, midterm elections. I mean, my contrary view here is that this is fun. That midterm elections, even though the outcome isn't what exactly what I wanted, although in some mm-hmm. cases it's exactly what I wanted. Um, this is, I mean, I, I, we are desperately trying to clean up something that we shouldn't be cleaning up. That this is a splendid, chaotic mm-hmm. uh, mess, which is a giant yes. country, and it it bedevils the people who want to like talk about it on TV, and it bedevils some partisans who are furious and looking for somebody to blame. But for ordinary American that citizens, includes me, which we by all, the way. Yeah, which we are deep down. This is like to be celebrated. I don't understand why people are so mad at Arizona for taking so much time. What the argument, the anger is like, I want to know now. I should be able to know in an hour. Why? What is that? Is that a law? The, the, the Republic is going to be fine if you have to wait another 48 hours. But the, the people angry at the polls, I heard a lot of Democrats yesterday angry at the polls, like, like as if the, it is a constitutional right for you to have access Back to a, to a, to a, a document that foretells with the future with 100% accuracy. This is ridiculous. We all need to kind of just take a deep breath, simmer down, and, um, and, and learn to love this part of America, because this is the part of America that makes us great.
Mm-hmm. I thought that if there actually was a big, strong red wave, that it would result in a Congress that did pretty much nothing and that it would force course, <laughs> yeah. course correct. You know, nothing would change. Yes. And it would force course corrections in the Biden administration or the Democratic Party, which said, hmm, lesson learned. We've got right. to start lying better about this, that, and the other. As it is now, they get the idea that everything's fine, double down on all of these, people don't care, and cruise on to eventual victory in 2024 when they're putting up Amy Klobuchar against Donald Trump. Which yeah, they no, could which possibly they will. win. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I I um I agree with you. And I, I but I would also say, I mean, I think of the lar- my larger argument is that that uh, and I agree with Luke. I think Luke has a I mean, Luke's a very smart guy. Uh, but there's also a big picture here, and it, for, and it goes to both parties. The voters are trying to get your attention, and they have not been getting your attention. And they are yanking hard, and they've been yanking hard on the leash for about 20 years, maybe longer. And the parties just don't get it. And it's either going to come from, um, I mean, there could be some kind of coalescing third party, which becomes a spoiler, but at least identifies uh, 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 an angry voter group like the Tea Party kind of morphed into the Trump coalition. Or it could be something else, or it could be a leader. A smart, smart, a Reagan-esque leader who comes from a state house somewhere, uh, who has a, a certain amount of like personal courage and can run a tough primary campaign and win it, and who a, who seems to gather gather people around him and to reframe the conversation. That that could happen too, um, but something's got to change. And y- you know, you can't win by two votes or three votes. Uh, and rely on winning. We, the, the House keeps changing sides. The Senate keeps changing sides. It gets really, really tight and close. Um, that is a sign that the corporations that are designed to serve us political candidates are failing, both of them. Um, and the one who gets it right and figures it out is going to be the one that has another 15, 20 years of influence. Mm-hmm. There, that's my... Go ahead, Peter. Tell me I'm wrong. No, well... Uh, I, don't know. <laughs> I, I, I was with you on the first bit about what we need to celebrate. I, I'm just, as of this morning, I just tend to resist. I guess I'm sort of in the Luke Thompson camp, but I'm tending to resist mm-hmm. national narratives. And I know, Rob, because I listen to Glop and I've known you for all these years, and, and you do love the unifying theory oh, of everything. So, I love so the unifying Rob theory to, of everything. <laughs> for, for Rob to find it, it. the message in all of this. Yeah. But, uh, I guess I was thinking to myself, gee, all the pollsters have this really down. We know that there's a wave coming. Pollsters are getting, yes, the story about people not answering their phones, but pollsters have new technology like everybody else. It'll be no time at all before they're using artificial intelligence. And there's really no, there's no scope left for politics. There's, we keep, we're forgetting that voters have free, and then they throw this election at us. The pollsters got it all wrong. More to the point, I got it all wrong. And my first reaction is, who do these pesky voters think they are? And my second reaction is, glorious. Democracy is still wide open, unpredictable, open to futures of all kinds. This is just wonderful. Right. I agree. I agree. It's a lovely thing to see on display. Uh, here in Rob, here in Minnesota, though, Rob, I don't think the voters are trying to get the attention of the dfl they they have their attention and they reward the dfl with votes every time 
I mean, there was there was a yeah. ridiculous little narrative going on that I don't know. I've seen it. I've seen the tightening. Good Minnesota go red. It's, it's, we, we always look Just purple for a little does. while. It is, never happens. Lucy grabs the football and everybody laughs uh, because this is because the administration <laughs> here is a reflection of what generally people want. Outstate, it's a little bit different, but yeah. But you know, yes. So you, the national narrative, the unifying theory, is tempting. You have to look at the particulars of the locals as well, and I get that. I get that. I just think the one thing we haven't talked about is the upcoming youth vote. How does it vote? Does it vote? And is there a problem in attempting to get people in their 20s to pay attention to a party that has as its standard barrier, as does the other, um, near octogenarians? I, I really yeah. don't think that if 2024 consists of a, of a, of a clash of octogenarians, that it's it's a good sign <laughs> for, the, for the health of the Republic. If we can't come up... Oh, with you're right. And you're right. They may emerge from a state house. Who knows? They may emerge from here or there. What you don't want is your your Caesars and your Francos and the people who managed to capture a moment with a certain mood and a certain, um, uh, how do we put this, radicalism that drives the country in ways we don't want it to do. So... No, that's right. That's I, right. I, 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 get, I get nervous I reserve- about that part. That's why I... Go on. No, no, I just reserve a little carve-out to change your mind about Franco at some point. He was fighting <laughs> hey, Stalin. He was up against Stalin. True. Yeah, he was and up Hitler. Against Stalin. And, and Hitler. Yeah, Let's, he, like, you know, like Salazar and, and Franco, you know, uh-huh. they uh, well, they sat out the could have been worst worse. century in human history. Yeah, I've been, so so here's, the, here's the reason why none of us should be taken seriously ever again or listened to on any of these matters. It's because going forward, <laughs> when it comes to generations like my daughters, we have cultural references like Franco and Stalin and Hitler, which are going to become just I absolutely just meaningless to, to everyone. I was at Trader Joe's last night and I'm doing some shopping and I'm walking along and they're playing on the speed. They've got very eclectic music, less so lately. What do I hear? I hear ZZ Top. It's about 7.30 at night or so, keeping me chugging along, and it stages, which is a great tune. It's got this riff at the end I was waiting to hear. Middle of the song is easy top, quits, and is replaced by Spa Chill. And apparently the Trader Joe's idea is that people will be psychologically conditioned to get to the end of the evening by switching the movie from some music from something up-tempo to something just sort of ah, relax. So I go to the counter and I check out and the guy says, Hey, how's your night going? And, uh, it's going great. Except uh, I want to know. I said, who turned off the ZZ top in the middle of the uh, middle of the song? And he looked at me and he said, the Z Z the ZZ what? Yeah. And I looked at him and I gave him that look at Walter Matthau at the end of Pelham 123 look. And I said, son, please, kids today, this is your cultural hair. You don't, you don't, he said, I don't know who ZZ Top is. Yeah, so when, sorry. When we, right. So when we are talking Franco and Father Coughlin and uh, Herbert Hoover here <laughs> and all the rest of it, uh, the generation coming up is saying, this is why we don't vote for you because you're old and you're relevant and you don't know what's going on today. That's what yeah, I You know, my said. response to that is, my response mm-hmm. to that is this. It's like, hey, Kid, you're stupid. You should know who ZZ Top is and Stalin and Franco and Salazar. Mm-hmm. And don't act like it's like irrelevant information. And I'm the old man shaking my fist at it. I'm old man screams at cloud. That's what I am. Right, right. And I'm proud of it, by the way. <laughs> and I, I still think I'm right. Right. And by the way, you there on your little electric bike, uh, we can summon forth an army of guys in, in the F-150s at any time and, uh, and and mow the lot of you down. So respect your elders. Uh, that'll be it for us. Donors Trust, Raycon, Harry's, three great sponsors, three great ways to change your life for the better. Support them for supporting us. And of course, 
join Ricochet today. Did I mention? No, I haven't. I think it's been a long time since I asked you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's been at least a week. If you could do so, that would be great. So new listeners discover the show and keep Ricochet going. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Peter. Thank you for listening. And we'll see everybody in the comments at Ricochet 4.0. Next week, boys. Next week. Ricochet. Join the conversation.